we would unpack the reason behind the cancer, not the tumor, but the cancer itself, because the tumor is just a product of a process. The process is the disease. Once again, the moment you started unpacking these more chronic, long-term debilitating diseases, once you see you found the same thing, repressed, stagnant emotion that creates a energetic stagnation in the body that creates a physical mass that results in some form of biological organic pathology. Hello and welcome to the Confidential Podcast, where we discuss and demystify life and everything that impacts it. I'm Simone Gisondi, author, health strategist, life transformation consultant, and overall life enthusiast. I dive deep into the fascinating world of life with each show. Each episode features in-depth conversations with experts, thought leaders, as well as personal stories and experiences that will bring the world around us to life. Whether you're a curious newcomer or a passionate enthusiast, come with me on a journey of discovery and enlightenment. Tune in every week and join me as I demystify all things that touch life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Confidential. I have probably the best show thus far since I've started podcasting. And I am so honored to have my guest on today, Dr. David Snyder. And I suggest you grab yourself a beverage and get comfortable. I'm about to introduce him. And he has so many things under his belt. It will take me quite a bit of time. So Dr. David Snyder is recognized as one of the world's leading experts, foremost experts, the way I like to look at it, in specialized human influence technologies and has personally trained members of the legal profession, law enforcement, people in the medical industry, people in the entertainment industry. He is in beautiful California, after all. He is a martial artist. I mean, he's got multiple belts in multiple different um, and various martial arts that he will talk about. And in the hypnosis communities, teaching advanced mind-body technologies for peak performance and persuasion, rapid healing, relationships, advanced social dynamics, covert influence techniques, and so much more. He is a licensed and certified hypnosis trainer, a master NLP practitioner and trainer. And for those of you that don't know, NLP is neuro-linguistic programming and in the Society of Experiential Trance. I would love to hear more about that and we will get him to explain what that is. He tirelessly works on developing training and educational opportunities that are designed to powerfully raise the skill level and professional status of hypnotists all over the world. I'm a hypnotist myself, so of course I gravitated to his work. He is also the founder and creator of CPI. So that is the Conversational Persuasion and Influence System, which is a trademarked system. And in addition to his many credentials in the field of hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, he holds a Master of Arts degree in acupuncture. So he's a doctor of acupuncture and oriental medicine from Southern California University of Health Sciences, where he himself pioneered the use of hypnotic technique in combination with acupuncture therapy. And he also holds, at least that I know of right now, but he could correct me if I'm wrong, a ninth degree black belt in martial arts. Ninth degree. My God, he could probably put Bruce Lee to shame. 
He is a captivating speaker and a very accomplished master trainer. I have taken classes and I suggest to all of you that you go look him up on YouTube. He's got over 200,000 subscribers, active subscribers, where he very generously actually uh, does live um, trainings and live techniques. I mean, it's this is how I gravitated towards. Um, that's a story in and of itself. But I wanted you to know that his method of installing high levels of skills simultaneous, simultaneously at both the conscious and unconscious levels, so that's where the magic happens in his students, has earned him a position as the most preeminent trainers of covert and conversational hypnosis worldwide. And I want him to tell us about, because I know that he had been voted, his NLP program has been voted by... Uh, an organization multiple times in a row as the best in the world. So he could tell us a little bit about that. And his unique and systematic style of presentation automatically entices the unconscious mind to begin imprinting and incorporating these extraordinarily powerful and utterly compelling hypnotic skill sets. And I went through that this weekend with him in one of his classes. And he is he knows exactly how things work and the strategies behind them and teaches you how you can build all of those things into your own mind and build a solid foundation to get whatever you really want in any situation or circumstance. He's a certified hypnosis trainer and a member of the Society of Experiential Trance. And he is, so let me just go quickly. I have a very long list here. So he is a diplomat of oriental medicine, diplomat of acupuncture, diplomat of Chinese Herbology, Associate Applied Science Degree in Business Management, Certified Practitioner of Neurohypnotic Repatterning. Ooh, that is a mouth, mouthful. A certified Practitioner in Advanced NLP Presentation Skills, a Certified Ericksonian Hypnotist, of course, uh, Hypnotic Techniques for Advanced Personality Change, Certified in that, Ninth Degree Black Belt in, and of course, I'm going to botch this, Raikuyu Kempo Karate, fourth degree black belt in Shaolin Kantao. I don't know if you're still fourth degree. I'm sure that that's probably higher. He also has a black belt in Kosho Kempo Ryu, uh, a black belt in Fan Ku Ryu Jiu Jitsu. My son is taking Jiu Jitsu now, so I'm actually very, um, very enticed by how that actually helps, especially in, in conjunction with everything else that it teaches, certified instructor of combat sistema, certified instructor in cinco mano escrima, certified instructor in modular blade fighting concepts, basic instructor in modern arnis, uh, certified Reiki master teacher, certified pranic healer, certified pranic psychotherapist, certified advanced DNA theta healing, certified practitioner of Bankston energy healing system. My goodness, Dr. Snyder, welcome to the show. I would need another couple of hours to introduce wow. you. Wow. That's all I got to say is, wow. <laughs> I don't know who you were talking about. I did all this stuff. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Simone. Uh, let's just assume that I'm just a guy who wears really cool vests and and go from there. You are uh, so much happy to be that. here. I'm, I'm happy to be here. And uh, to quote one of my more recent favorite binges on Netflix, uh, New Amsterdam, how can I help? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and in addition to all that I said, I just want you guys to know he conducts seminars, trainings and special classes throughout the United States. He's based in the United States. He's moved a lot of his stuff to online. So he does a lot of virtual trainings on topics of energy, persuasion, healing, martial arts. And he, of course, in addition to his very popular channel. 
And you also uh, own and operate a business, I believe it's called Action Performance Care with your partner, Dr. Don Liu. So I want to dive deep on actually what it is that you guys practice there, which is the treatment and resolution of emotional and physiological illness caused by repressed emotion. I'm fascinated by that. Okay. Well, first of all, um, you know, Don and I, when we met, we, we had very, you know, we had a lot of overlapping beliefs about health and wellness mm -hmm. and, and, and what, how these systems interact. But Don's focus was always, always on the biomechanical side of things. The, uh, everything that Don did, um, first of all, she's the most intense woman I've ever known. She just, you know, um, if she looked at you, she could, she could burn a hole through you because she's so focused on the things that she's passionate about. And uh, she was literally the valedictorian of her acupuncture class and her chiropractic class at the same time. And I was thrilled um, when she asked me to, uh, to, to partner with her in a clinic many, many years ago. And as we started to, to work together, it became very clear that there were, you know, there was, while there was overlap, there was a, a very significant level of specialization. Dawn's focus was always on the biomechanical, the nutrition, the biochemistry of things, because she had a PhD in biochemistry before she went to acupuncture school. And so that was, that was her thing. But I was always looking at how, how did they, how did this person get this way? Where do these, where do these illnesses actually come from? And after a while, Dawn started noticing a pattern in her chiropractic patients uh, where no matter what she did, things that should have worked just didn't. And mm -hmm. so when she ran into those, those brick walls and she's one of the, the most um, meticulous and accurate diagnosticians I know, she would send them to me and say, I think this is a, this is an emotional pattern. And originally I work almost exclusively off referrals uh, and it was almost exclusively uh, chronic and intractable pain because that's what a chiropractor sees more often than not. Right. And these things, you know, there was nothing biomechanically wrong. There was nothing that we, that was detectable with soft tissue work. And so we'd have to go in and as I like to call it, talk to the boss and find out what's really behind this. And so often as we regressed to cause and we, we got back to the real reason behind these things and we resolved them at the psycho-emotional level, the pains would just go away. And that just kind of lit a fire with me because in Chinese medicine, especially the, 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 the pre-Mao, pre-communist versions, they would have, they had two categories of pathogen. The first pathogens were what they call external pathogens, wind invasions, basically, which is just a, a very poetic way of saying viruses, um, injuries, stress, uh, bacteria, those things, right? They would call them external pathogens. And that accounted for a certain, a certain amount of illness that people would experience. But the vast majority of illness, the chronic, the long-term stuff, they attributed those to internal pathogens. And internal pathogens were always emotionally based. They were always anger, fear, jealousy, sadness, rage, um, frustration, guilt. And these energies would have a, a certain frequency range that would cause them to be in harmony or resonance with certain organ systems. And that's why you would find that people who are always angry uh, or always uh, jealous or envious of people, a lot of times they would come down with liver problems, cirrhosis of the liver, fatty liver, things of that nature, because the emotions express, the emotional energies connected to the, the wood meridian would manifest in that organ or in that, in that meridian pathway. And so this, the Chinese have a very long and, and very detailed history of how to look at the body through a completely different set of lenses and see through advanced pattern recognition, 
what kind of energies are, are out of balance in the body. So if you had anger issues, jealousy, frustration, anything related to boundaries, then it would almost always migrate to the liver or the gallbladder. If you had things that were worried about anxiety, trust, um, overthinking, right? It would migrate to the spleen and the pancreas area, right? Kidneys were about fear and, and uh, lungs were about grief and loss, right? And so over time, I started getting, you know, after, after, after a while, my patients started to change a little bit. We started getting more and more people with phobias and fear, which is something you would see in any hypnotist treats. Then all of a sudden I would get people with, I've been diagnosed with cancer and I'd be like, oh, well, let's talk to the boss and, and, and see where that goes. And we would progress the cause and we would unpack the reason behind the cancer, not the tumor, but the cancer itself, because the tumor is just a product of a process. The process is the disease. And once again, the moment you started unpacking these more chronic long-term debilitating diseases, once you see you found the same thing, repressed, stagnant emotion that creates a energetic stagnation in the body that creates a physical mass that results in some form of biological organic pathology. And so, and, and study after study after study would come out and it, some of them were being done by insurance companies. Like one of the, probably the most famous ones is called the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Events Study where eight out of 10 things, I believe if I'm, if I'm, I might get my numbers slightly wrong, eight to nine out of 10 chronic illnesses that would show up in a medical doctor's office could be traced back to an early adverse childhood emotional event, a trauma. Wow. Wow. Okay. And this was done by an insurance company. Right. And, and so what the Chinese have been saying for thousands of years and, and Ayurveda and and some of these other more long-term traditional health systems it's the emotions and uh, that, that we carry and lock in our bodies that make us sick. And so as I began to expand and do more events and, and reach out and teach people how to run their minds based on what I was learning, more and more different kinds of clients started to show up. And, and very, very quickly, it became very obvious that the root of nine, if not 10 out of 10 of the things coming into my office had an emotional basis. And if I could just get to the root of where that emotional event started, clear out the, the emotion and give the person the experience they need to let that process or let that memory go in whatever way is appropriate for them, the symptomologies would, would rapidly dissipate. And as we continued to play in that field, so to speak, or, or play in that sandbox, we started finding faster and faster ways to do that. Um, and, and that's kind of how we put ourselves on the map. And it's been a, it's been a study of, of how people manifest their own illnesses. And it's not, and here's, here's what I was, I was trying to think about how to explain this uh, earlier today. I was, I was dropping my, my daughter off at school. How do you explain this to people in that a lot of the things that they're carrying around, it's not their fault. Um, and, you know, one of my, my colleagues in the behavioral sciences world, a guy named Chase Hughes, um, talks a lot about generational trauma. And there's books out there now about how if your grandma um, at the turn of the century got in a train accident and, and lost her leg, you could have a, a, a mysterious train phobia and not know why, because that energy, that information is encoded in your genes and it gets passed down to you. That's not your fault, but, and you're certainly not accountable for the train and the accident that happened to your grandma, but it is your responsibility for cleaning it up because it manifested in you. And so there's a lot of, when people start looking at fault, accountability, uh, responsibility, right? They, they think that people who are accountable should be able to fix it. Well, sometimes those people can't fix it because they're not here anymore. Right. And so this idea that, we're, you know, we have these weird pathologies that manifest out of nowhere. They don't manifest out of nowhere. They just may not have started with you. 
but they're still all, and whether they come through you from the generational, through the generational lineage, they come through from a spiritual thing or from an actual event that happened in your life, your neurology builds them and expresses them the same way. And so if you understand how your neurology does that, you can go in and tell your neurology to do something different. And that's been my study now for going on 20 some years since I started my practice. I'd like to take a quick break now to let you know that today's show is sponsored by my book, Against Medical Advice. This book is a memoir, and it tells the story of how I built my life back after suffering a stroke during my divorce. I discuss the nutritional, lifestyle, and mindset aspects that I put into practice to regain my health and rebuild my life. The book has been a labor of love, both writing it and publishing it, and I couldn't be more proud of it. Please pick up your copy from Amazon. For your very own signed copy, my email address is simone at simonegisandi.com. Oh, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd please consider leaving a review once you've read the book. And now, back to the show. So for everybody who's listening, when I first found Dr. David Snyder on YouTube, I remember I stumbled upon one of your lectures and you were talking about it, how to get rid of things. Mm -hmm. And you put one of the people that were actually, um, so this was a live event that you were running and you put one of the individuals who, who was attending in person through this particular, um, I think it was a hypnosis. And then mm -hmm. afterwards you went through a specific process where you were able to release something that that individual was, was um, feeling. And I went through, then I went back to the same channel and I said, you know what, I'm going to actually do that alongside when you were walking the person through, I closed my eyes, I went through it. And one of the most fascinating things is that when you say, and you guys, of course, you don't have context around it. And I highly, highly recommend that you go and check out the, the YouTube channel so that you could see what I'm talking about. When you tell the person, try feeling the way you felt before you just did this, and you can't, it's mind blowing. That blew my mind beyond what I can even express. Because Clearly, we have so much power that we can actually take what we are ailing with and then remove it. And then we cannot go back and feel the way we felt when we were actually in that position of being affected by whatever it may be, which I'm assuming is an emotion of some sort that yeah. has been yeah. embedded. Mm -hmm. Everything, the thing, our emotions are, 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 are very largely misunderstood. And again, not your fault. No one gave you the user's manual for your neurology and told you that emotions are supposed to be tools, not ramifications, right? Emotions are a really powerful source of both guidance, information, uh, empowerment, but again, like any superpower, you know, if you think about it for a moment, think about all the superhero origin stories that you've watched or read. Like if you were a geek like me growing up, you read every comic book, every, every sci-fi and, and fantasy novel you could find. And if you, if you look at like Spider-Man, Spider-Man is probably the best known example, right? Every time Peter Parker gets bit by a spider, he goes through this whole breaking in period where these, his powers are just manifesting, they're running amok, he doesn't know how to control them, right? Well, your emotions and your nervous system are a lot like that. We, there's nobody to teach us and show us what's possible with our nervous system and how our emotions actually work. And so we develop these, these default mechanisms for how to cope with things just through having to survive through challenging situations. 
we talk about, <clears throat> I'm, I'm big on energy psychology, even though I don't like to talk about it all that much, simply because most people can't wrap their heads around energy except conceptually. But if we talk about what the, the what, what actually goes on in the nervous system, people can go to a nanny book and they can find the, the proprioceptive nervous system. They can find the interoceptive nervous system. So we talk about it through those neural dynamics and it, it works just fine. You don't, you don't, you don't remember emotions as much as you create them on the fly. But what happens is when, when you're, when you encounter a situation or a circumstance, your neurology is saying, has this ever happened? And I'm having a body sensation. Has this ever happened before? It goes through its filing cabinets and it finds all the times when you had that similar feeling, the memories connected to it and the label attached to those feelings. And then it applies that label to the body sensation that you're having. And now what was an uncomfortable feeling in your, in your throat or in your chest is now labeled as sadness or an uncomfortable feeling in your stomach is now fear, right? But there's a, but as we, if we can learn to become more aware and we understand the process by which emotions are made, the moment we have a sensation, all we have to do to stop that domino effect or that daisy chain of events is go, well, what else could this be? And just asking that question at the moment of awareness separates or or disconnects the dominoes that we're about to tumble from that sensation and allows you to install or connect another label, which opens up another set of dominoes, which can give you a much different experience of that body sensation. So there's, there's all kinds of things below the surface that are driving our bus. Right. And when you get, when you start becoming progressively more self-aware, which is the, the class you came to was our healing intensive, which is where I'm not there to really teach you how to do the things I'm doing. So you can go out and help to do that with other people. Those are different trainings. What I'm there in, in the healing intensive is I'm guiding you through process after process after process that allows you to not only target the things that have been holding you back or limiting you in any way, shape or form, I'm giving you a, a set of processes that allow you to become progressively more self-aware because as you vent the emotions that have been locked in your body, the information behind that has been, been, been hidden from your awareness or from your access because of that emotion dissipates and the information becomes available to you. And now you can reprocess the experiences that way you should have before that energy blocked you from being able to finish it. And so one of the ways that we test that is, is, the, is the terminology that you were alluding to. Try to bring it back and notice what happens instead. Because when the, when the intervention locks into place, you can't go back to the old way of thinking about it because it's not the same event anymore. You're not the same person anymore. That emotional energy that was stuck in your system, keeping that event from being processed the way it should have been processed is no longer there. And so everything shifts. So you're basically interrupting the pattern that the body is used to processing it as. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Everything we do is, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying the human experience, most of what we are are just interacting vibrational fields that are running continuous patterns that are pre-programmed from life experience or passed down to us through genetic memory. Right. So let's go back to what you just mentioned. So let's say an event happens when we are young. Mm -hmm very young, when we don't have the ability to consciously recognize what's actually taking place, but our body or our neurology, the way you describe it, responds. We don't understand what that response is. So for example, if you have a child witnessing, a child who's young, let's Mm say two years, three years old, uh, witnessing something, a, um, let's say a violent crime, out on the streets or something of that nature or something in the home and in the family. Um, 
they obviously internalize that. That becomes a traumatic event that is now encoded into the DNA, into the neurology, into the nervous system. Can that have the potential to become disease later on if it's repressed and not processed? 100%. Okay. 100%. So what happens, because since we don't have at that age, we don't have the ability to process at a conscious level what just happened, that it's wrong, that it's right. We just know that our body went through a process of... Um, let's say you start to the fear. So you feel it physiologically, uh, your throat closes, your heart starts to beat rapidly. Uh, you start to sweat, whatever the case may be, different people probably uh, express it differently. So you don't understand it. You go forward in life. You get to a point later on when you become an adult, you come face to face with something similar, or you remember it. It comes into your memory and you go through that same physiological pattern. Mm -hmm. your, your throat closes, your heart starts to beat rapidly, you start to sweat, your palms get sweaty, and we don't recognize what's happening there. Mm -hmm. How does the body know how to respond at that moment when you are so young, two, three years old? There are certain programs and certain, uh, my friend Chase likes to call them scripts. Mm -hmm. um, I like to call them programs, but they're genetic memory. They're genetic uh, things that allowed us over the course of 10, 100, between 100 and 10 million years to survive and grow. So one of the things that you'll see in animals, you ever watch National Geographic or whatever whatever wildlife uh, documentary shows are on, you'll see if a, if a cheetah is chasing a gazelle, whether the cheetah gets the gazelle or not, at some point, both of those animals, provided they survive and one escapes, you'll see them just start to shake violently. Like, yes. Right, whether they, right? That's a trauma release mechanism. It's the, the person, the, 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 the animal has built up so much energy from the neurological arousal in the system that in order for them to continue to function, they have to shed it. And so they'll just start to shake for, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then they get up and it's like nothing ever happened. Human beings have that same mechanism in them. The problem is we have a culture and a society and an educational system that teaches you to short circuit and subvert it. And so what happens is rather than let that shaking and processing and burning off that emotional charge take place, we lock it down and stuff it in. And the reason we do that is because a, the, the culture, but there's a, there's a, there, you have three levels to your brain. So you have the, the, the brain itself has the, what they call the paleocortex or the brainstem. This is your reptile brain. This is the oldest part of you over. That is what we call the mammalian brain or the limbic system. Right. That's kind of like it's got about the uh, emotional intelligence, the intelligence of a dog, but it's the, the, the deeply emotional part of you. So your, your cheetahs and your gazelles animals are operating from that brain. Right. That's where that rec that mechanism lies. But over top of that is this big new layer called the neocortex, which is where your your verbal ability comes from. Your analyzing ability comes from your ability to abs to, to engage in abstract thought comes from. And it's the abstract thought and, and another process called reflexive thinking that is the source of our problem. You see, the one one of the things that separate besides opposable thumbs, what one of the things that separates us from all of God's creatures is the ability to have thoughts about our thoughts and feelings about our feelings. And so the that, that, that neocortex, that new layer has the ability to go into any pro just about any process that the neurology wants to engage in and stop it for a brief second, especially when it comes to processing or, or dealing with emotions. And so what happens a lot of times is we encounter something and we need to process it, but there's other things that are competing for that in, in, for priority in that. And so we stuff it. So I'll get to it later. 
And then we stuff it and we stuff it and we stuff it and we keep stuffing it. And for, you know, if the, if the event, there's lots of ways that humans screw themselves up, by the way, but I'm, this is just one of them. Um, <clears throat> for if, Let's say that the event that we encountered, the trauma that we encountered is like a seven on a 10 scale, right? right. And I stuff it and I'm chucking through the world and I, 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 I encounter something in my environment, a person, a place, uh, a turn of phrase that is similar to that trauma that I stuffed. It's going to aggravate and provoke that trauma. That trauma is going to want to come up so it can be dealt with and, and re-experienced for whatever reason. And what I do is I don't want to deal with it. So I stuff it back down. Well, if, if the trauma that I'm trying to bring up is a seven, I need at least a seven or a level seven energy or higher to keep it down there. And so every time I stuff it down, I'm actually adding more and more and more energy to that experience. And the more energy it builds, the stronger, the harder it is to, to keep it down there. Right. And so eventually that, that builds up so much energy, it starts to pull denser energies, which pull denser material. So it'll start to pull blood into that area. First, it'll start as tension and then a pattern of stress in the muscle, soft tissues. You ever, if anybody's ever done any kind of massage and all of a sudden the massage therapist hits one spot and all of a sudden the person bursts out crying and they don't know why. You just found one of those pockets of emotion that's locked in your tissues that started as just emotion and then became grabbed on who and, 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 and formed into tissue mass. That, that chi stagnation will become blood stagnation. That blood stagnation will start to become other organic things. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is your subconscious mind has a system in place for grabbing a hold of events, traumatic events, and keeping them in quarantine. So think about if you're, if you're on a computer, okay, and you inadvertently go to a, a phishing website or a, you download a malicious piece of software. And if your software's up to date, it goes, hey, you, there's a file connected to this that's going to hurt you. What do you want to do with it? You want to you want to ignore it or quarantine it? Uh, you can't delete it, so it gives you the option to quarantine. So it grabs that file and it puts it somewhere on the hard drive. It can't get rid of the program because it doesn't have a version of the software that can go in and dissolve it yet. But it can quarantine that file so that it doesn't get into your computer and cause damage or cause havoc. And then eventually, the software, your antivirus software, gets an upgrade, and now it can go in and it can delete that file because it now has the technology and the expertise to unpack it and, and attack it. We came hardwired because of our evolution with a system that allows us to do that. Okay. When we encounter any form of boundary violation and a boundary violation can be perceived or actual, it doesn't really matter as far as the neurology is concerned. It doesn't matter if it's actually true or not. As long as we perceive it to be true, it's true as far as your neurology is concerned. And so it will, it will activate this mechanism the same way. So just like when the cheetah is chasing the gazelle, when somebody cuts us off in traffic or yells at us, we're, our, 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 our neurology goes into fight or flight. And depending on how intense that, that level of neurological arousal is, it will trigger that mechanism. And just like the old Ghostbusters, probably ghost, the Ghostbusters metaphor is probably the best metaphor that I've ever come up with for explaining this. Like, you know how in, in the old Ghostbusters, when there was a ghost running amok, they would just slide a trap under it and this, the trap would open up and suck that ghost right into the, into the trap. And then it would, they would put it in a container containment facility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what your neurology does <clears throat> with these events, real or imagined that you weren't prepared to deal with that overwhelmed you or took you by surprise in some way, whether it's physical or emotional, your neurology literally goes offline for a fraction of a second. That trap opens up. It grabs the energy, the memories, the feelings, all the, all the things of your consciousness that were active at that moment, puts it in a little box and sticks it somewhere in your body. 
And what it does is it holds it there, waiting for you to come back downstairs and clean that shit up. But we don't because we have a lifestyle, we have an educational system, we have an indoctrination of how we're supposed to behave and how we're supposed to manage our mind and body that doesn't encourage us to go back inside, find all the shit that makes us want to want to run away from things or not do the things we want to do and clean it up. And when we do want to, and when those things keep making us feel bad or, or holding us back, we look outside of ourselves for the resolution to that. Where more often than not, the only way to get those things out is to go back in. <clears throat> and so, but what happens is your unconscious mind, one of its prime directives is to hold on to these things temporarily, keyword, temporarily, Very until so. you come back inside and tell the neurology what to do with that. That's actually, you know, based on Bandler's work and Grinder's work, that's actually one of the prime directives, in my opinion, of the neocortex. The conscious mind, is ha- it has to go back into these deeper levels and say, okay, fix this, move that, move this around. Because when, when our neurology grab, when our, our neurology creates those little boxes, it's coded in a certain way, like a rewritable DVD. And it will continue to play exactly what's on the DVD or what it thinks is on the DVD until we go in and rewrite the DVD. But we never, and that's what the conscious mind is supposed to do. Using the imagination, the intention, and the will, we're supposed to go back into our neurology, find those areas, and rewrite the DVDs, and even throw the DVDs out and rewrite new ones if if that's what's appropriate for us. But we don't do that, and so these things build up and accumulate in us over time. But the neurology is always trying to get your attention. So that's why, picture this: you're you're driving down the road on a bright sunny day, right? Not a care in the world, cranking tunes, right? And you're just enjoying the moment. And all of a sudden, a shitty memory from when you were seven comes up. Yes. Now, now, do you run? Do you pull off to the side of the road, throw the car in park, turn off the engine, and go in and look for that shit, or do you do yep. what most people do: turn the radio up louder, stuff it down, and keep going? That's right. That's right. Why? Because we don't want to deal with it. We have more important things to do. It's not that big a deal. It happened when I was seven. Why is it bothering me now? It shouldn't. It can't be that important. It is right because that's the job of your unconscious mind to hold these things. In, in, in abeyance, for lack of a better word, until you can come down, clear it up and get rid of it and move on. But we don't. And so we accumulate this massive storehouse of stuff, stuff we're conscious of and stuff we're not conscious of. But every time we pass through or, or move through an event, situation or circumstance that has anything in common with some of these trauma containers we have locked in our system, your neurology is going to provoke that event. This is another thing where, again, you can see the parallels in Chinese medicine. Chinese medicine would say, if you have a condition of internal heat, or internal cold, and you you drink a cold beverage that you'll you'll feel immense pain because the cold beverage provokes the cold in your system, and now you have this massive allergic response, for lack of a better word. And this is why when we get in certain situations, even though we don't consciously know why it's triggering us, we feel at ill at ease. It's because your neurology groups things not by when they happened, by what they have in common, how they overlap. And so, but your neocortex doesn't have access to a lot of that. So it's got its job. One of its jobs is to make up stories for why you are the way you are that may have absolutely nothing to do with where this stuff actually happened and where you need to go to fix it. And so when I'm training people um, or, or as in, in the healing intensive that you went through, one of the first things I taught you was the six dynamics of an unconscious response. You see, we relate to the world through the lens of our, our newest, youngest part of our brain, but that's not the part that's driving the bus, right? And the, the neocortex, that newest layer, right? The third layer is the only part of you that communicates in words. The rest of you communicates in sensation and body feelings. And so if you try to make sense of body feelings from a neocortical perspective, it's going to create a narrative that may take you down a completely different path than where you actually need to go. 
So when people need want to start unpacking these things in their mind and their body, they need to understand the dynamics of the other uh, two thirds of their of their brain and nervous system, which is the dynamics of how your autonomic system communicates to you. And that is the unconscious mind always answers first. It always answers honestly. It always feels like you're making it up. You always have an urge to edit what just came up. It's never loud and it's never linear. When you start going, if you start applying those dynamics to whatever information you get from your own system, when you dialogue with it, it will lead you in the most linear path to get rid of the things that are holding you back. And you can start to trust the information. If you deviate from those six uh, guidelines for intrapersonal communication, then you'll start creating stories and narratives that will only put you on the hamster wheel of, of personal change where you'll never get off because you'll just keep recursing, making up more stories, deeper rationalizations, analyzations. That's not what heals you. It's not what heals you. What heals you is finding the emotional charge, following it back to the original recording that you made of it, venting the emotional charge, inserting new information that changes that, that memory, for lack of a better word, permanently, and allows you to process the information the way it should have been processed in a more resourceful way. That's what heals people. It's not a rational, logical, cognitive understanding of why they're screwed up. And, and it's, it's very easy to see how that, that can be enticing because we live, most of us live, at least our awareness resides in that, that younger layer of our brain and our central nervous system. That was long and drawn out. I hope I didn't lose anybody. No, that was incredibly like, I mean, it mind-blowing, but it's simply and very succinctly described as to why it takes, especially as we get older, uh, in older age is when you see from the accumulation of so much energy into the physical body, that's why typically you see a lot of illnesses and diseases, mm -hmm. especially chronic disease, manifesting itself in the human body at that stage, because it's just, I think the body just can no longer cope with stuffing down the energy that you just described, mm -hmm. especially in a specific channel, which is typically why it manifests. And oftentimes you see people who say, and of course, this is probably the medical industry processes this from the neocortex perspective, when they say you have people who eat, let's say the same diet, and then one of them gets cancer, the other one doesn't. And then people associate it to say, well, this person smoked, you know, their whole life, of course, they're going to get cancer. And I thought that about my father, who obviously had cancer. Um, and then there are people who smoke their whole lives, never get cancer. They go through life happily and they end up, you know, in their 90s and, and then they die of natural causes. So it certainly speaks to how we process that information. Um and, and what do you have to say about, I want to move on to NLP because I really want you to speak to that, but uh, some things that, that come up. Number one, what can somebody do to be able to release some, some of this energy, um, let's say from a perspective of being proactive rather than letting it accumulate so that when they get later on in life at 60, 70, 50, whatever, uh, it starts to manifest as a disease that now it's gonna take. Because oftentimes, in the way that you teach it, it's very easy to fix it. Very quick, very easy. I should say very simple, but not necessarily easy. However, it is fixable. Whereas a lot of people go down the path of traditional medicine, and then they struggle by accumulating even more traumas to the body via some of the therapies that the medical industry practices. And then they end up sicker 
than they were if they had just left it as is and deal with it from the emotional perspective in the way that you teach. So what can someone do to be able to release some of this energy proactively or if they had accumulated it to be able to get rid of some of it so that they could get better? Okay, well, before I, before I go any further into that, let's, let me be state for the record. If you're on medications, I, I'm no way advocating not seeing your, your, your regular doctors or going off medications or things of that nature. The things I'm sharing with you are extremely complimentary. I don't like to consider myself the alternative healthcare guy. Uh, we're all here for the, I'd like to think, you know, all big money and big pharma aside, you know, that we're all here for the same thing as healers is, is to help the people, help the patient. And so I'm, I'm for any intervention or any modality that, that, that leads the patient uh, towards optimum health with help health with the least amount of side effects or whatever. So people have to make that decision. So I, I would never advocate, like if you're on depression medication or blood sugar meds, take my techniques and go off your meds. Don't do that. Never do that. But as you apply these techniques, what you may discover is that as you go back for your checkups and your follow-ups and things like that, that you may need less and less medications, which is always the idea, right? Just to taper as your body changes, right? Uh, that being said, the, the, the capabilities inherent in your nervous system, like I said to you guys during the intensive, you are literal magic embodied, incarnate. And, and there is almost nothing that these techniques can't significantly change, if not completely eradicate. So a couple of things, if you want to, if you want to start to heal yourself, the first principle to understand is that everything human beings do is in response to a feeling. And that's either a feeling they want more of or a feeling they want a whole lot less of. That's Human right. beings, this, this, this polarity between pleasure and pain or towards and away from um, is universal in any organic life form. It moves towards the things that make them feel good or comfortable. It moves away from the things that make them feel bad. You know, notwithstanding certain communities in Los Angeles and Chicago where you have to pay at a premium to be made to feel bad so you can feel good. That's a little bit of a different class or a different, different issue for today. But... Um, the first thing is understanding that every single issue that you have has a feeling connected to it. If you can't, if, if you can't point to where you feel it in your body or outside of your body, you by definition don't have a problem because the behaviors that we engage in or don't engage in are designed to change how we feel at any given moment. And that's a compass that you can use to navigate this. So when you have an issue, whether it's a physiological issue or an emotional issue, even a behavioral one that holds you back. When that mechanism, when that program activates, there's a body feeling that arises in the body. And all you have to do is ask the system, where in my body do I feel it first? And you go with your first impression and you point to where you feel it, okay? That, that moment, we call that a somatic address. Every issue that you have, will have a somatic address. It will have a, a location in or around the body, depending on the severity, where that program starts to make itself known. But it's also the access point. Think of it like the USB port that we can plug into. And so point to where you feel it, right? Now, I could spend a day just unpacking all the neuroscience of becoming aware of where the feeling is and pointing to it, right? But you don't need to know that to create change. You just need to know if I have a body feeling, I point to it. Okay. And from there, I'm going to um, translate that information, which is a feeling into something else. I use colors first. So I say, if there were a color connected to this feeling, what color might it be? 
right? Now notice I'm asking myself a question, right? I'm dialoguing with my own deeper levels of my nervous system. I'm taking my neocortex and by asking a verbal question, because your autonomic nervous system understands a lot of what's being said, but it doesn't always translate both ways. If, if there were a place in my body connected to the feeling and the reason behind that, where might it be? First impression, boom, right? Now I've got a body location. If there were a scale of zero to 10 rate, the intensity of that feeling, right? If it's a zero, you probably don't have a problem, right? But one through 10, okay, you've got something you can work with. So now you've gotten the location, you've gotten the intensity. Now, if there were a color connected to that feeling, what color might it be? First impression, right? Whatever pops up into your head, that's what it is. Now, depending on what the issue is, I might ask different questions, but let me just review that, that process, because that is what we call the, un, the, the recovery or um, unpacking process. Where, where in my body do I feel it? Scale of zero to 10, how intense is it? If there were a color connected to that feeling, what color might it be? First impression, boom. Now, the next thing I wanna do is I wanna ask my neurology another question. Is it okay to get rid of this? Is there any reason why I might wanna keep it? And if the answer is anything but an immediate resounding no, if there were a picture floating in the space around me that represented that feeling, a picture I could reach out and touch, where might I reach out to touch it? First impression, boom. Now you're gonna take the outline of that picture with both of your hands so you know what shape it is. And you're gonna grab it just like you would expand the window on your touchscreen, your iPhone or home, and you're gonna make it bigger. And notice what happens to the feeling in your body. Does it get bigger or does it get stronger or, or smaller? Now bring it back to its original size. Pull it closer to your body. Does the picture get stronger or does the feeling get stronger or weaker? Whichever, it doesn't matter which direction it changes, just that you notice how it changes. Now put it back where it was, put a big thick black frame around that and imagine it's like a television. And you probably can't remember when televisions had real dials and knobs and switches because you're all internet babies, but I want you to feel along the base of that frame, you're gonna notice some dials and knobs and switches like on an old style television. I want you to take that knob and turn it all the way to the right until the image whites out completely. Notice how that makes you feel. And then turn that knob all the way to the left until it blacks out completely. Notice how that makes you feel and decide for yourself which one you like better. If you like it all the way to the right, white it out. If you like it all the way to the left, black it out. If there's something in between, a different color, just use that color. Now, imagine for a moment that the index finger of your dominant hand has a little writing stylus on it. And in gold, glowing golden letters on that colored out screen, I want you to write all the lessons that this experience that you're feeling in your body that's connected to that picture had to teach you positive or negative so you can keep all those lessons and let everything else go. Now, some people know exactly what those lessons are and they just write them like it's nobody's business. Some people have no conscious idea what those lessons might be, but the part of you that created that feeling, that created that picture, that part always knows what needs keeping and what needs to be let go. So give that part of you permission to use your finger and write like automatic writing across that screen and just let it fly, right? Now, some people will just draw squiggles. Some people will draw pictures. Some people write F U F U F U across the screen because they're angry. Right. Some people write with both hands simultaneously, like they're writing Chinese or Hebrew at the same time. It doesn't matter. Let the body express what it needs to express on that screen. The screen will scroll like a tablet. So you have an infinite writing space. When, my, when I taught this to my wife, she is so detailed. She would write for 40 minutes at a time, literally just note after note after note. She worked in biotech. So it, it translated into how she processed. Doesn't matter. Take as long as you need to to let that information come up. As it comes up, it comes out. As you feel it, you reveal it. As you reveal it, you heal it, right? If the feelings and emotions come up, put them on the screen too, and just keep writing. When you know you're done, 
And only when you know you're done, reach up, physically take your hands and shrink that image down to the size of a postage stamp or even smaller. And notice how the feelings in your body shift and change as your other than conscious mind begins migrating that small, tiny picture up over the top of your head and back beyond the horizon until it disappears completely. Now, you all know the sound a hammer makes when you're banging on a nail. Nailed back there beyond the horizon for all eternity, impossible come back. You know it's nailed back there for all eternity, impossible come back. Test it. Try to bring the old feeling back. Try to turn the new feeling off. Notice what happens instead. Now, take all the time you need to let that happen. Don't be surprised if you sit there and your body starts doing all kinds of crazy, weird things. Some people break out in a sweat. Some people laugh. Some people yawn. Some people cry. Some people twitch. Some people just feel waves of emotion coming up. However your body does it, just allow that process to happen. Don't try to measure it, manage it, or make it happen faster. Just notice the process taking place, allow it to install itself completely. And when you know it's done, scan your body and test it. Try to bring the old feelings back, try to turn the new feelings off, and notice what happens instead. Okay, That's a very quick intervention that will take the sting, if not completely eradicate, a good chunk of stuff. But the reason you start with that particular drill is because your neurology creates rules for things. And if you've made the same mistake multiple times, you've injured yourself in a similar way multiple times, your neurology will basically say, hey, every time they've done X, Y happened, and this is like the third or fourth time, and they're about to do it again. If this person does this again, he's gonna have, or she's gonna have this response, I need to protect them from that. I need to make sure they never experience that issue again. How can I do that? I know if, they have a pain there that constantly reminds them and it doesn't go away. They'll always be reminded not to do that stuff again and they'll never go and make the same mistake. That's called a safety lesson. Most of the stuff that, that goes away and comes back, most of the stuff that starts at maybe at seven, eight or nine, you get it down to a two or three and it just doesn't go any further. Usually have safety lessons attached to them because you've made similar mistakes or there's a pattern that your unconscious mind recognizes that it's trying to protect you from. Okay. And let me tell you something, even if you're as advanced as I am with a lot of this stuff, you'll still find shit that you know how to fix that you didn't get to fix because you didn't realize it was there. I had a, uh, uh, one of my high level students on a, a coaching call yesterday and he had stopped. He was big. He was big into bodybuilding. And uh, turns out that several years ago, he'd gone to the gym and there had been a, an outbreak of staff at the gym and his leg got infected. And he wound up getting like a quarter sized hole of flesh removed from his leg because of the infection. Wow. And he stopped working out after that and he couldn't get motivated to work out. And for two, three, four years, he was basically, you know, he was getting soft. He, he wanted to be strong. He wanted to work out, but he, his body wouldn't let him go. And he couldn't figure out why. And then one during the coaching call, I was doing a, actually training people on advanced persuasion and influence tactics. He, he, we, we, we peeled back a layer and the episode of the staph infection came out. And I asked him, I said, did you ever do a magic frame on that? And he went, and there was a long pause. And he says, no, I, I never did. I said, would it be okay to change that? He goes, yeah. And I walked him through the magic frame. And as soon as he moved that picture back behind him, his drive to, he, he, he wanted to go work out instantly, right? And so this is a classic example of what in Chinese medicine we would call root and branch. The branch was the inability to go work out, but the root was the fear of getting infected again, of getting another staph infection. Why? Because the unconscious mind decided that going to the gym was too dangerous. And so he, 
I have to make sure that he never has an opportunity to get infected like this again. So if I just make him lose his ability, his desire to work out, or if I keep him from going to work out, then he's safe, right? Now the guy's not dumb by any stretch of the imagination, but yet his unconscious mind decided, this is how I'm gonna keep you safe. It didn't ask his conscious mind's permission, it just did it, right? And so a lot of what we do is about asking the right questions. But the other, the other, the other side of that is that we can ask questions all day long, but if we don't know how to, to, to determine if the information we're getting is the right information, we're lost in the sauce. Or if we don't know how to interpret the information that we're getting. So those six dynamics of the unconscious response are critical to doing the process that we just walked you through. Because if you don't apply those six dynamics, you won't trust the information that you get and you'll wind up creating a story and that'll take you further and further away from what the actual problem is. Right. We try to find the most direct route and the direct the most direct route is almost always through the body, even if it's an emotional issue, even if it's a fear or phobia right, or a rape trauma or a, a, a active shooter trauma. Or, you know, I, I've worked with homicide detectives. I work with rabbis. I've worked with PhDs in psychiatry because they can't find they can't they can't get to their stuff because they're trying to get at it through the mind instead of through the body. Right. The body manifests these feelings and it's the shortest distance between where we want to where we are and where we want to go. And if we understand how to reintegrate back into our bodies and understand and interpret the information that it's giving us, that's 80% of the job because you can change anything your body creates. So what about situations of, let's say, depression, anxiety, which are not tangible, they're not in the body. It's not necessarily something like what you just described, like a staph infection, which obviously was physical, tangible on the body. It's something that is of the mind. Well, first of all, let me, at the risk of being a rude guest, uh, anxiety and depression are absolutely in the body. Okay. Okay. Anxiety and depression are almost never the problem. Anxiety and depression are almost always the symptom. Okay. The reason, and, and if you were to ask somebody who's anxious, when you're anxious, how do you know you're anxious? Where do you feel it in your body? They'll go, <gasps> or, well, you just, you just found what we, we needed to go, right? That's right. Right. Every body, every emotion that we have is a body feeling, but not all body feelings are emotions. That's what's interesting. Like hunger, not an emotion. It can trigger emotions, but it's not an emotion. It's a primal drive. It's a body feeling. Body feelings come first, emotions come second, and then thoughts, ideas, narratives come third. So reptile, like remember, drives, emotions, thought, right? That's literally how it works. Now, the more you can, you can work in those deeper levels, the older the part of the system is, the more power it has. Now, you get there a lot of times through, uh, you can get there through, you guide the process through language, but a lot of it is getting back to a more primal, fundamental uh, programming code, which is where we start to lapse into NLP and things of that nature. Because uh, NLP gave us a window into understanding the language of thought, which is also the language of feeling and the language of the body which is visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory distinctions. Everything a human being experiences has to have those five components in order for us to create anything that we can relate to. One of the things I told you guys uh, during the healing intensive, and I'll talk, and for your, for your viewers today, we are not the way we are because of the things that happen to us. I know that seems weird, okay? We are the way we are because of the way we recorded the things that happened to us and the way we've been relating inside of our own minds and bodies to those recordings, okay? But what are those recordings made of? Well, think of them like little mind movies. 
when you think of a, but, but, but a, a, a full three-dimensional mind movie that has visual components, auditory components, kinesthetic components, olfactory components, and uh, gustatory components. In other words, when we're in that memory, if I ask you, you know, can you remember the taste of your birth, your, your, the birthday cake on your, on your fifth birthday? Well, if you're like, if you're like, you're, you, you probably started to notice you started to salivate just thinking about it, right? Why? Because there's a memory there. There's a whole, there's a very deep, very rich container of information for every thought, memory, and experience that you have. And your neurology doesn't actually know the difference between the memory and the event. And that's why a lot of times we treat the memories like the thing that happened to us, but they're not. They're very, very uh, high definition recordings of a thing that happened to us. And we've been relating to that recording based on the way we made it and treating it like it's the actual event, but it's not. Those events are gone. The very fact that you can be in this room or, or, or on your phone or wherever you're watching this podcast hearing my words and understanding what I'm expressing to you means that every situation and circumstance that would have over, that may have overwhelmed you in the past took you by surprise, you beat it. Because just like that cheetah chasing that, or that gazelle being chased by that cheetah, if the, if the cheetah had gotten the gazelle, it's over, right? The difference between you and the gazelle is that the gazelle doesn't keep thinking about it. When the cheetah, when it gets away from the cheetah, it's gone. When we get away from the cheetah, we keep thinking about being attacked by the cheetah over and over and over and over and over again. Because that moment, if it pushed us to a certain neurological arousal level in our nervous system, activated the trauma response, the container opened up, grabbed the memories, thoughts, and feelings, stuffed it in a little box, and it's now down there like a DVD on an endless loop playing because that part of you doesn't know it's over. And so what we do is we have to go back into those containers. We have to go back to where they're stored, pull those things out, look at them and say, not that, this, and change it and, re and you know, either refile it, delete the, the emotional charge, add more information to it, put it back in, and then the system runs fine, right? You're not broken. The very fact that you can hear this, this audio and, and watch this video means you beat every single thing that tried to kill you, every single thing that tried to overwhelm you or, or, or uh, violate you in any way. You beat it, whether you, whether you just think of yourself as a survivor or a hero, or it doesn't matter. You're here, your heart is beating, your lungs are breathing, you won. All that's left is going back in and cleaning up that shit, right? Because those things are over, except for the recordings that you made. And you made them. And that's great, because if you made it, you have absolute permission and the ability with the right guidance to change it. And that's the beauty of being a human. Once we know how the system works, and we have the awareness, we now have choice. Right. So Dr. Snyder, let's talk about NLP, especially because a lot of people in the audience are not really as well versed as you are. Mm -hmm. What are some of the foundational principles of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, when you think about it, neuro-linguistic programming? So you're basically using the neurology with language to reprogram the neurology. Right. Um, when we talk about NLP and and the functional approach to NLP changes as practitioners change. There's, there's many different schools of thought on neuro-linguistic programming. Many of them place a huge amount of emphasis on linguistics. Mm -hmm. And again, that's one way to do it. I focus, I, when I, my approach to NLP is that the classical definition of NLP as, as coined by the founders is the, the study of the structure of subjective human experience. Now, what the hell does that actually mean? What is it? It means it's the study of how we take events outside of us, recreate things, thoughts, memories, beliefs, models of the world 
inside our brain, how we use that, those things that we create to navigate the world we're in, and how we use language, words, to express parts of that map with other people. And so once you understand how your nervous system built a particular experience, you also now know how to change that experience because you can go in and modify the way it was built, right? So for example, you guys had a, a very quick experience of that when you pointed to where you felt it and then you reached out and you touched a picture. Now, if you're like most people, the vast majority of people, there's, there's variations and I'll talk about those in just a second. When you reached out and touched that picture, you didn't know it, but you were connecting one part of your nervous system to another part of your nervous system. When you traced it with both of your hands, you were activating both hemispheres of your brain. And when you expanded that picture, if you're like the majority of people, you may have felt the feeling in your body start to intensify. A smaller population of people, when you make that picture bigger, they'll feel it get weaker, like it's diffusing. So we call these people expanders. And then if we make the picture smaller and the feeling gets, strong, gets stronger, we call those people concentrators. It doesn't matter which one you are. There's no right or wrong. What's important is that you know which one you are, because what you're doing now is you're tapping into the operating system of your autonomic nervous system. You're tapping into the part of you that through metaphor communicates what's going on and the thoughts and the things that it's encoded and stored in itself. Now, when I speak to you, the way I speak to you is going to be um, influenced by how I've built these thoughts out here. So if, if I'm a very strong visual person, for example, I may think I clearly see how the, the colors and, and I, I can view the event as if it's actually happening, right? Notice the preponderance of visual words in my language. Now you'll do this for all your senses, which you'll have a dominant sensation or a dominant representational system, which could be the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, whatever it is, right? The vision, the auditory, the kinesthetic, the olfactory, and you'll have a, a lead system. So you may, you may start by talking about what you see and then, and it really sounds to me like, uh, like it's very harmonious, right? And now you've got a lead, a lead system and a and a dominant system. In in my school of NLP, we don't spend as much time on that aspect of it in terms of the linguistics, because we're so because everything that you're going to do, whether you're coming in through a visual or an auditory, an auditory and olfactory or gustatory, all of those thought processes will culminate in some kind of body feeling. And if we can activate and and, and go right to the body feeling, we can cut a lot of that out. So that's why I say point to where you feel it. But the idea behind NLP is that there's a way that your nervous system creates recordings of external events, memories, daydreams, fantasies, traumas, values, belief systems. All of those things are subjective experiences. And NLP is the study of how we do that and then how we communicate the, those internal processes through our words. Because the language that a person uses can be, in many cases, a literal map of how they've built their thoughts, okay? Now, I'll give you an example of how you can expand this idea. We just played with a, a, a little drill where called the magic frame. We point to where we feel it, we reach out and touch it, okay? So we put a frame around it and we, we white it out or blackened out the image and then we wrote things, right? And then we shrunk it and we put it behind us. When we put it behind us, the vast majority of you, it either significantly dropped in intensity or completely went away. That's pretty much the human experience. But why behind us? Why behind us? I've done this with literally tens of thousands of people. There's two sets of 
programming languages that we operate from. You have one that you kind of come off the assembly line with. That's the one we're playing with right now. Then you have one you learn. We, kind of like when you, you get a brand new iPhone from the store and the minute you get it, you don't even, you just throw the manual in. you start deleting apps you don't want and adding the apps you do. You're kind of customizing it. You're making it your own. Even though every iPhone that comes off the assembly line looks exactly the same, right? So we have this coding system that we've customized and then we have one that is a default. I focus on default systems first because I can do that any, any, any part of the globe with any human being. The vast majority of people, when you take an image or an idea and you move it behind them past the central column of the nervous system, your autonomic proprioceptive neurology automatically recodes it as overdone and complete. Okay. I've done that. I, I came to that conclusion through literally tens of thousands of hours working with clients and seeing this happen. Um, kind of lost my train of thought there, but, um, but the idea here is that space is another part of that language, that programming language that your autonomic nervous system runs on. And if you can understand how, how that language works, then you can take any event that you've experienced and turn it into anything you want. So going back to this idea that subjective experience and organic experience can be perceived through our words, I want you to think about something for me. This is just a fun little exercise. When somebody describes getting, uh, solving a problem, what are some ways that they do it? Do they sometimes say, I got to get over this. I got to put That's something right. behind me. I've got to get around it. Get through it. Yeah, I got to get through it. So if, if, I, if I'm this way, this is my front, this is my back. If I've got to get over something, where does it end up? It ends up behind me. Yeah. If I got to get past something, where does it end up? Behind you. It ends up behind you. If I got to get through something, where does it end up? Behind you. The secret is in the structure of language. And this is, again, one of the things that as a neurolinguistic programmer, if you're, at least if you're trained by me, you're going to pay a lot of attention to because human minds and brains are simultaneously hierarchical, archetypal, analytical, literal, and metaphorical. So when people speak, so much of the non-meaning related information about that communication will tell you about the structure of what's going on inside of them. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can decode that structure and use it to create change and enhanced understanding in another human being. You can make them feel the most heard, understood, validated, and loved person on the planet. And they'll talk and talk and talk your ear off. And they'll think you're the most fascinating conversationalist they've ever met. And you've said maybe 20% of the conversation because you perceive things about how they need to be communicated with that are locked into the structure of their language, which are directly connected to how they create thoughts, beliefs, memories, and daydreams and fantasies. It goes right to their values, right to their needs. And that's really what the study of NLP, um, and especially in my school, which is becoming is all evidence-based. There's a lot of things in classical NLP that just have been disproven scientifically, uh, application-wise, things of that nature. So everything that we do is, is based on neuroscience, social psychology, um, body language and kinesic studies, things of that nature. So it's, it's a, lot of the, a lot of the gold from classical NLP is there, but we've thrown out things that don't have a high percentage of a return on the investment. And we make it simple, right? But in NLP is, is a way to get things done, right? So a lot of the, the programs that we teach, we do certify people in NLP and, and things of that nature. But a lot of the programs and the products that we teach aren't going to teach you NLP. They're going to teach you the way to solve a problem using NLP. There are two different, there are two different applications. Right. Uh, and our job with, with that is to just make the change you want to create as fast and as easy and as user friendly as possible.
and fun if we can do it. Because the more fun you have, the more powerful you tend to become. So I hope that gives you a little bit of uh, an insight into uh, what NLP is and what's possible with it is beyond the scope of me to be even just, it's, it's changed my life. Uh, when you can move through the world through the lens that NLP teaches you to, to um, view the world through, a lot of the secrets of, of human beings, of, of uh, social dynamics and interactions, relationships, uh, how to get things done faster, they, they become very, very obvious because you become tuned into the patterns and mechanics of things rather than people's definitions of things. And that's the structure behind the communication that has the goal in it. And when you can, and when you, when you can see the world through the eyes and ears of process and structure, the universe becomes literally the universe around you becomes your, your, your classroom. And it will just continue to teach you things about the literal magic inherent in who you are um, than probably any other discipline I've found. So I'm going to get off my NLP soapbox, but uh, that's kind of where I come well, from. Well, I know that NLP faced massive skepticism, especially in the scientific circles. Hmm? And I wanted to know how you address, I think you've addressed some of these critiques and what steps the NLP community, yourself included, of course, can take to strengthen its scientific grounding. But you've spoken to that very, very clearly, especially because you get results in um, when you work with, with your patients or clients, depending on how you refer to them. But I wanted to know for the listeners who are new to the idea of NLP, what are some of simple but effective NLP techniques and, you know, very high level that they could start practicing in their daily lives, maybe to improve their mental health and overall, overall well-being or in, well, the, in the, the, the health the, realm? The, the magic frame exercise that, okay. that I showed you is the capstone of... Um, Think of it like your field kit for change in, in change work or healing work anytime, any place, under any circumstance. It's called the transformational triad. And it makes use of a, a huge chunk of NLP principles and foundations. But you don't need to know any of those things for the triad to work. Right? So the first thing we did was called the magic frame. And the reason we start with the magic frame is because if your neurology has created those safety lessons we talked about, like when, it was, like when I was talking about my student with the, the staph infection, what will happen is if you try to spin something out, um, it'll, it'll diminish and it'll diminish and it'll diminish. And one of two things will happen. You'll reach a number. Like if you start at a nine and you keep spinning it, you'll reach like a one or a two and it'll just stop and it won't, it won't get any better. And we never stop an intervention until we've zeroed it out. That's how this, this process works. So if, if you, if you're spinning something and you reach a number that you can't go past, you have to go back and do the magic frame anyway. So you might as well just do that ahead of time to remove any safety lessons that would keep you from getting full resolution. Same thing with color breathing. Color breathing um, can be one of the longer, slightly longer processes, depending on what version you've learned. But you also, you also encounter that same situation. That is, there's a safety lesson connected to an event you want to clear from your mind and body. Uh, and, and the neurology isn't convinced that you've learned the lesson. It will actually keep you from fully resolving that issue or what may often happen is it it'll go away in the moment and then a few days later or a week later or an hour later it'll come back because your neurology is not convinced that you've preserved that lesson right again we, we cover all these things in like our, our our practitioner trainings and our identity by design trainings we talked a lot about it in in your in your healing intensive too but the idea here is you always start with making sure that any reason you might have for keeping something has been has been dealt with and that's what the magic frame is about from there where most people go 
is they go into energy spinning. Now, energy spinning is really, really simple. Most of it is exactly the same process that um, you started the magic frame with. Point to where you feel it, rate the intensity of the experience. Notice there's a color connected to that feeling. What color or colors would that be for you? First impression. And then what you do, so we'll walk you, we won't do them, but we'll walk you through them. So you point to where you feel it, you, you, you rate the intensity of it, you, you notice the color and you reach in and you grab all of that color and you take it out and you hold it in your hands in front of you and make sure you get it all because sometimes it hides. Then you notice what direction it's moving. It's spinning in a certain direction. Notice what direction it's spinning. So let's say it's spinning this way. And then you notice, did the color change or stay the same? First impression. And then you grab it with both of your hands and you make it the opposite of what it was. You physically turn it. So now it's spinning in the opposite direction and you double the spin, you double the speed, you double the force, you double the magnet, and you keep doubling it over and over and over again until it takes on a life of its own, until it's impossible for it to go back the way it was. When you know you've got it, you slam it back into the spot you took it out of and you hold that space for yourself and you let that program install and unpack. Now you're going to go through all kinds of weird sensations. Some people break out in the sweat. Some people laugh. Some people yawn. Some people cry. Some people twitch. Some people just feel waves of emotion coming up. However your body does it, that's just your neurology installing the new program and purging what doesn't need to be there. It's just the emotional detox and the neurology resetting itself. Just hold that space and don't try to measure it, manage it, or make it happen faster. Just notice that process taking place. Allow it to install itself completely. And when you know it's done, test it. Try to bring the old feeling back. Try to turn the new feelings off. Notice what happens instead. Once you're satisfied, if it's completely gone, you can move on to whatever other thing you want to clear. Or if there's any residual, notice the intensity of the remaining feelings, the color connected to it. Reach in, take it out, find the direction the opposite direction, spin it again, put it back in. And you just keep circle. You just keep repeating the process until it's zeroed out. Now that's energy spinning. That's a very basic way to do it. Lots of nuances, lots of ways to make it even more targeted, uh, address deeper issues, chronic issues. We've shrunk tumors in 90 minutes with this, this thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really powerful. Um, but the more, you, the more playful you are with it, the more you can get your imagination and your body engaged in the change work, the more rapidly all of your neurology recruits and you get quantum change. You get a whole a change that's greater than the sum of the parts. Okay. And again, I could spend hours literally unpacking all the different neurological things we're doing to facilitate this. It's not necessary for you to be able to do it. And that's, what's cool about the triad is when I'm teaching people how to do this, the vast majority of people that I'm teaching this to don't want to be therapists. They have, maybe they want to be, you know, maybe they think they toy with the idea of being a healer, but what they really want is to heal themselves. And so there's, you give people, there's two ways to keep people stuck. Don't give them enough information or way too much. My job is to give you just enough information that you can do the process successfully and manage it and adapt as you need it. So from magic frame to energy spinning is where we go next. And then we look at whatever's left. And if there, and then we ask our neurology, um, a scale of zero to 10 rate, the intensity of those feelings, whatever it is, if there were, what's the color connected to that feeling? If my higher mind could send me a feeling, a frequency, a vibration, or a color that would completely dissolve XYZ color in the one, two, three part of my body and give me what I most need and want and desire instead, what color or colors might it send me? First impression, the color is going to pop into your head. Imagine that color, breathe it through the negative color and watch as that area starts to melt and dissolve. 
Okay. Now, one of several things will happen when you do this is this is color breathing level one. This is the game I play with my five year old when she has a boo boo or she has a when she's feeling sad or angry or depressed or whatever. So you can do this with children really, really successfully. There's about seven levels to this. We, we only teach the first one to the general public. What color? What color is it? What color would make it better? Breathe the good color, the healing color through the negative color, and you'll feel it start to melt and dissolve. Now, one of several things will happen. You'll either get complete resolution, which happens a good chunk of the time. Um, but also what happens is if the area is this big and you start to color breathe, it'll shrink. Now, that's not the same issue anymore. It, these things kind of, I call it the Russian doll effect. If you've ever had a big one of those big Russian dolls, you open it up and there's a little doll in there and you open that doll and there's another little doll in there and you open that one, there's another little doll in there and it just keeps going. That's kind of how these things um, are layered in the body. So when you've cleared up, when it goes from this to this, it's not the same issue. It's a different issue. It's a different but similar issue. So you want just repeat the process. A, it's okay to get rid of this. And if I get anything other than a resounding yes, I go right to magic frame and then I come back to the color breathe. But then what color is this? What color would make it better? Boom. What color is this? What color would make it better? Boom. And you just keep doing that until it's completely gone. Now, another manifestation you might get is called body mapping. And that's where it travels. So your, your issue is here. What color is it? What color, what color is it? Blue. What color would make it better? Green. Breathe the green. And now this disappears and something comes up over here. What color is this one? Oh, it's yellow. What color would make it better? Red. Okay. I breathe the yellow through there and now it moves down to here. Right. What color is this? Black. What color would make it better? White. Right. That's body mapping. Okay, that is a very common experience as well. It takes a little bit longer, but you just track it through the body doing the exact same process until it's clear, right? So, and at any given moment, when one stops working, you just transition to one of the other techniques and it'll create movement in your in neurology and the way you process information. We call this the, we call this the transformational triad. And with it, there's, there's not much you can't put a dent in, right? And again, I could, I could, like I said, I could spend two and a half days just telling you all the different principles and things that are at work here, but none of those are necessary for you to be able to actually do it and start creating change for yourself. And this is actually one of the reasons that our channel, I, I believe, got very popular is um, we focus not necessarily just on teaching people about things, but giving them an experience, something that they could grab onto and test for themselves and make a change. Um, and that's how I feel that that we've made, you know, we've made inroads, you know, you mentioned some earlier that results are what counts. And a lot of my colleagues who've developed really powerful or very interesting methods of healing or, or interventions, they went the scientific study route. They wanted somebody to, to do a double blind animal controlled trial and get that, you know, um, American medical stamp of approval or validation from the scientific community that what they had was true. There's a lot of problems with that approach, but it is the one that a lot of people tend to have the most faith. Well, I don't know after COVID if we have as much faith in it as we used to. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the truth is, is that it's all about power and control. And so I watched that happen with some of my colleagues who I deeply respect, have their stuff literally stolen or suppressed, um, trying to go that route. Uh, I won't mention names because I don't want them to be targeted or anything like that. I don't want to be targeted, but I decided to take a very different approach. There's the same approach that uh, a gentleman by the name of Gary, uh, the gentleman who, cre who uh, created EFT, you guys remember Gary, um, can't remember his last name, but he did something amazing is rather than, than give the, give EFT to the medical community or give it to the, the research and scientific community, he gave it to the people. He gave it to the people so that, uh, and he gave it for free. 
so that people could get the help, even if they couldn't afford to go to a therapist or, or have medical insurance or whatever. And a tremendous amount of people adopted EFT. And now because of its, its access and how many people have used it, if you go to pubmed.gov, you have hundreds, if not thousands of studies on the efficacy of EFT. I decided that these techniques were too important to be locked in a lab for 10, 20, 30 years until somebody got around to saying it's, this is safe or whatever. So I did the exact same thing as I gave it to the people so that they could go and they could make change and they could help their family and their friends and, and do whatever. And now people are quoting our works just like they did Gary's and, 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 and things of that nature, but the people who need it have it and they can use it. And if they need extra help, they know where to go. But that was, that was why you can go to YouTube and on every webinar I teach, I'm teaching one or two or more of these, these particular processes or why I'm constantly referring to them because they go to the core of 80, 90% of all these psycho-emotional issues that lead to physical illness, emotional illness, negative behaviors, you name it. It all starts with a body feeling, which is connected to a recording that we made and how we've been relating to those recordings. And this will get you there more often than it won't. And anybody can do it. And there's... We've, I've seen changes happen that I, after 20 years of teaching this, Simone, I look at some of the results that people are generating and I'm like, that shouldn't work, but it does. And I've so, seen a lot of the uh, people who have left uh, testimonials on your website. And I mean, the, the YouTube channel speaks for itself because you get to see with your eyes and you get to hear the actual people describe mm -hmm. what they feel and how, what they've overcome. Yeah. So, it, it's, it's and amazing. I could, I could say the same because I've obviously experienced it, which is why I wanted to have you on my show. Well, I'm really, I'm really, really honored to be here and I'm, I'm happy to help anybody who wants to help, if, help, you know, in whatever way is appropriate, you know? Um, but the idea is, is, you know, he, healing, everybody should have the, at least the, the, the way to get access to it. If you, you know, they, if, at whatever level they can afford and stuff like that, these are things that lay the foundations for much deeper alchemical and transformational and spiritual growth and, and, and work. But a lot of us aren't really focused on that until we can stop hurting physically or emotionally, right? There's, there's a, there's an order of priority that our nervous system has. Uh, in fact, I told you, I taught you guys about that in, uh, in the healing intensive is that your autonomic nervous system has a negativity bias. And yes. even though I told you, even though I taught you to go for the low level stuff first, if you're going to do this on your own, most of you actually had a hard time beating that program is going after Godzilla first. Why? Because it's the biggest, most nastiest, most prevalent problem and your system just wants to get rid of it. Right. And that's where you need, that's where it's always helpful many times to have somebody guiding you through processes rather than trying to guide yourself until your skill level is high enough that you're familiar with how to do these things and your unconscious believes you can do it. So how often, if let's say short of somebody coming to work with you or a practitioner that actually has been trained by you, how long would it take somebody, let's say, if they were to do what you just taught, the triad, how long would it take somebody to get past something on their own, on average? Oh, I can, I can teach you how to do that in a few hours. And how often would you have to practice it to be able to overcome certain things? Let's say illnesses, something that has expressed on the physical body. I think a lot of that is based on A, the illness and the person and where the, the core of the illness is. Like I've had, a, I've had cases where I've had a client through zoom dissolve a bone, bone tumor that on a scale of zero to, to 10 was like a level seven or eight. And in the course of 90 minutes, we shrunk that puppy from a seven or eight down to a two 
and he, and he was so freaked out. He didn't want to go any further kind of freaked me out too. Cause that was the first time I'd ever seen that happen. But by the, you know, he, he could very, very easily palpate the bone tumor. And by the, by the close of the session, he was looking for it. He was having trouble finding it. You know, I've had people, I've had neuropathies, you know, due to TBA, TBIs reverse themselves over the course of hours. Once you've done the spin, people who've had uh, nerve damage where they were stabbed with a pencil when they were eight and they're, they're like 20 years old now. Right. And they go in and they spin it. And all of a sudden the feeling comes back into their hand. Right. I've had people through YouTube. Uh, one, I got one testimony one time. There was a family. They had this little girl, horrible math phobia. Just every time she would take a test, she'd freeze up. She'd do the wrong answers. And they, they tried two or three times to, uh, to get her to, to pass these tests. So they saw the spinning technique. They took it out. They spun it the opposite. She aced the math test the next time around. Wow. I mean, it's, I had, I had another gentleman. Again, these are, you can find, if you look hard enough, you can find these on my YouTube channel. I just leave the comments there. There was one guy who was watching the spinning video where I'm talking about dissolving tumors and things of that nature. And he had these lipomas. Now lipomas are just fatty um, ball, balls of fat below the surface of the skin. They're not necessarily, they're not malignant. They're usually benign. They're just usually ugly. And sometimes they can compress on nerves and, and it can be uncomfortable, but they're largely just harmless. And he was looking at these lipomas on his arm and he was watching my YouTube video. And when the video was over, he just went, oh, what the hell? And he took, he took it out. He spun it. He woke up the next day and the lipomas were gone. And he, he, he's like, he leaves a comment on my YouTube channel. What did you do to me? Right. (laughs) You know, um, the magic is in you. You just needed somebody to show you how to access it. Once you can access it, once you understand how to learn from your own mind and body, you're, you're unlimited. I told you guys that he very generously shares everything and I I wanted you to see for yourselves and certainly he did that. Thank you so much, Dr. Snyder. Um, I wanted to know, for example, uh, in the way that traumas impact our ability to be in fulfilling relationships, do we apply the same method you just kind of walked the audience through to be able to extract? Yeah, you got to remember that when, when when we go into a relationship, Mm-hmm. We're bringing all of those trauma bubbles with us. That's right. We're bringing them all with us. And so whatever happened to us in the past, we're going to, our nervous system is going to try and recreate to some degree in the present. Right. And so the, the best thing you can do is go back and clean up your past and install the things you want there instead so that the person who appears in front of you doesn't get the, the anger and the venom and the retribution of the people that you've recorded. Because we, we create templates um, in our minds and bodies from zero to five is when the, the most critical portion of that happens. And we imprint that and we, and our neurology is always seeking at some level to recreate those dynamics. Cause that's what was there first. It's called the primacy effect. The information that, that is, is installed into the unconscious mind, the earliest and is there the longest becomes the most foundational and pervasive. That's what's normal. It doesn't matter if it felt good or felt bad. If it was there first and it was there the longest, that's normal. And so your neurology will sort for that unless you go back and you change those imprints. So a cleaning up your past, regardless of, of whatever application, romance, dating, new job, career, spiritual work, whatever, is always going to be a, a, one of the most important pieces. The next thing is knowing actually what makes you happy, what makes you happy, and what values must be present in your life to feel fulfilled and write about yourself in the world and the life you lead. 
we call that a life values inventory. We have a, a class called Soulmate Secrets, which is all about pulling those things out. And then what do you need in your mate? And what's important about that, right? What's their attachment style? What's their love language, right? Because once you know what these things are, even though you, you start to narrow the, 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 the population, the, the odds of you having a great connection go up exponentially. Plus, as you clean up all these different aspects, your vibration changes. You start hanging out in places where people that match your template congregate, and you have a much greater chance of actually creating a partnership with somebody. But what we do in Soulmate Secrets and, and anything regarding relationships is about making your life as awesome as humanly possible, as if you were going to go through it completely solo. So that is absolutely fulfilling and thrilling. And when you lead that life, and you're focused on just living your life and enjoying the things you're doing and, and being on your golden path, as we like to call it, you will pull into your life people who have the same energy, the same vibration. And those have the greatest chance of being a good long-term match for you. Because if you're not having fun with a partner, you're not going, you're, you know, I'm not interested in, in fun. I'm just interested in a long-term relationship. Well, guess what? All long-term relationships start off as short-term relationships. If you haven't realized that yet, um, this is why you might be single, right? And, and so there's, and again, there's a lot more that we teach you about romance and, and, and attraction psychology and things. We have classes and programs for that. Um, but the big one is cleaning up your stuff and really knowing who you are and what you want. People have this, this operating system there that says, I'll know what I want when I see it. <sighs> Not so much. Because what you'll get, what gives you that familiar buzz that makes you know it's right, are the templates you installed back then that tell you what's familiar. But if those templates are reading you to the same guy with a different face or the same girl with a different face every single time, guess what needs to change? Yeah. I think I remember during class, you told us that your neurology does not sort for what feels necessarily safe, but for what feels familiar. So yes. even if what you had initially when you were young during the zero to five years, as you just mentioned, if what you experienced was, let's say, violence, that you will seek again because it's familiar to your neurology. And that's why people end up with partners that are violent or abusive. Yes. And many times, a lot of times, the partners that we select, and this is something people don't want to, they, they go into massive denial programs when, when you tell us. Many times, the, the, the attributes and the qualities that we, we wind up hating in our partners are actually projections of the things we hate about ourselves. Mm. Whether, whether we express those or we sublimate them, they're aspects of our internal world that we haven't, we haven't balanced yet. Things that we need to, they're mirrored to us for us to be able to work through. Everyone you meet it to some degree is some, is a mirror in some way. The question is, do, do you have the awareness and discernment to, to detect that and understand it? And that's a process. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I, when I talk to you and, and the, the people come to the intensives or the, my, my trainees, when they're to a certain find to be clinicians or influencers, I tell people that my first job as your teacher, my first job as your mentor um, if we could use those words, is to help you become progressively more self-aware, becoming aware of what's going on in your body, what's going on around you in the environment, to expand and understand and see the matrix, for lack of a better metaphor, of what's really happening. Because without awareness, there is no choice. Without awareness, you're at the mercy of the patterns that were installed from zero to five and beyond through people and places and events that overwhelmed you or were outside of your awareness or outside of your control. Our job, most people who come to me aren't, aren't looking to get less control from their lives. Or let, they're, 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 not, they're not looking to get more randomness in their life. They want less randomness. Right? And so you have to go in and you have to go and you have to clean these things up. It wasn't your fault. You're not accountable 
for the things you got through your genetic lineage or through the behaviors of your parents or whoever took that role, but you are responsible for cleaning it up because you inherited it. And unless you go in and proactively do something about it, it's going to run your life just like it ran theirs. Until now, and I think that with what has happened during this COVID era over the last three and a bit years, I think it's so important, the work that you do, because we are accumulating additional trauma. I mean, we've all been forced to do things we may not necessarily have wanted to, or we were forced to experience things that triggered or reminded us of things that were traumas from the past. So this is accumulated trauma, which in the way that you described in the beginning, it's the accumulation of more energy into the body that will eventually seek expression. Absolutely. So I, I'm wondering if you can tell us, um, looking towards the future with the accumulation of additional trauma, how do you envision the role of NLP and the, the work that you do and what you teach evolving in the fields of health and wellness so that people can proactively engage in that? And are there any, let's say, emerging trends or advancements in NLP that you look at as something that's promising that people can use to be healthy? Well, I think at the risk of, of patting myself on the back, I think the, the, the most cutting edge NLP stuff I've seen from NLP has come from the Planet David community. Not to necessarily just me, but my students, because mm -hmm. we're, we embrace the original idea of NLP, which was an attitude. It's an attitude of curiosity and exploration that leaves behind a trail of techniques. And so as you start to become immersed in the principles, not just in NLP, classical NLP, but in hermetics and vibrational science and things of that nature, you, and you start to see how they're actually the same, like there's no difference between your visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and olfactory systems and what, this, what the Chinese medical community talks about in the five elements. There's correlations everywhere, right? But you have to see beyond the geography and the, the language and the culture to the mechanics of what's happening. And you can see so many things in the Qigong world that are analogous to what's, in, what's going on with NLP, right? Which are analogous to what's going on with holographic memory resolution or um, other forms of energy psychology. And it's, it's, it, there's, there's more things that are the same that aren't, but they're separated by the languaging and the terminology and the jargon and people and, and where it comes from. So that being said, um, NLP is an attitude of uh, curiosity and exploration that leaves behind a trail of techniques. It's about asking, how does that happen? Is that useful? It's not about good or bad. It's about, okay, that's what's happening. Is it useful or isn't it? And if it's not useful here, what is? And could this thing be useful in a different application. So a lot of times it's about finding uses for things that we do naturally and automatically uh, and just tweaking them a little bit or moving them to a different context or application. So NLP allows us to really kind of pull back and you think of it as a methodology of inquiry, right? I said curiosity early, but it's a method of asking questions. And NLP, got, classical NLP especially, got a bad rap because it was very pseudoscience-y because People weren't in really, they didn't care at the time it was incepted about whether it was scientifically provable. What they cared about was, did it yield a predictable, reliable, consistent result? Did it work? And I think that's what made NLP so powerful in its inception. Now, I think as time went on, certain things that were kind of on the fringe or iffy, they, they got disproven or, or less than you, you know, less used. But I think NLP has a place, not necessarily 
in the, the classic techniques of NLP, but in the dynamics of how the subconscious mind creates things. And, and it creates physical issues or mental issues or linguistic issues. So there's there's places that understanding of, of NLP can enhance communication to levels that most people only fantasize about. There's ways that NLP can enhance existing forms of therapeutics um, because it cuts to what's actually the, the, the active ingredient or if, if it's an act, it's not about one active ingredient but the synergy of several smaller ingredients. Um, the biggest challenge that we have with NLP is that a lot of people have used it in ways that aren't always the most ethical, right? Um, and I've studied with both famous and infamous people and everyone has something to teach you. Um, but I think if you really want to um, get the most from NLP, and I, this is something, this is a prerequisite and actually got me in all kinds of trouble when I used to certify through the Society of NLP. I wouldn't, I wouldn't certify in anybody in NLP until they proved to me that they were a good hypnotist and they went through our identity by design process. Because if you went through Identity by Designer or the Killer Influence System, which was named the number one NLP program in the world by Global Gurus for four years running, um, you could go into any classical NLP class and just own it because we simplified and made everything real world. It wasn't theoretical. Um, I, got, I used to get no level of grief from the society because they would, anybody could walk in. And if, even if you couldn't spell NLP and you could go through an eight day training and get certified. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. And, and that's the way most people are, by the way, um, because it wasn't really about in my opinion, in my opinion, and it's very biased. So um, most people in the, in, most trainers are more interested in filling their room and, and getting you to the other end with a certificate than they are in making sure you can actually do the work. Yes. And, and so um, I, I, I took it, I, I taught this stuff for free for 10 years. Most people don't know that. Um, in LA, I was running a group called the Somnambulistic Sleepwalkers, and we were the world's largest free hypnosis and NLP practice group in the world. And we were dedicated to just getting together, having fun, rolling up our sleeves, doing the drills and getting the skills. And we didn't care whether you had, whether you could spell NLP or not, whether you've been in the field for 20 years or 20 minutes, <clears throat> all we cared about was that you had a good attitude and a sincere desire to do the drills and get the skills. And we saw the product of pretty much every, every certification body that was out there. And a lot of them could cite Bandler and Grinder chapter and verse. They could pick apart other people's techniques, but when you ask them to get up and actually do something, oh, they'd always find a convenient reason not to, or want to charge for it. And that wasn't what our community was about. And so for, for over 10 years, um, I refused to certify anyone. Uh, I would teach people, I would train people, I wouldn't certify because I didn't want to be part of that, that machine. And then in about 2010, uh, my good friend, uh, the late James C2, who appears in some of my programs, uh, he literally grabbed me by the ear and said, hey dude, You've got to start certifying people because these people are coming to you, learning how to do this stuff, going to other people for the certification and saying they taught them. James always had a better head for business than I did. Um, so they were using your techniques with somebody else's certification yeah. to be able uh, to go in. And, and I didn't I didn't care all that much um, uh, because it was about the skill sets. But I realized also that I was doing a, a disservice to my teachers and my lineage. And, the, and mm -hmm. one of the things that because I come from a, a very long uh, classic traditional martial arts background. And then I'm, I'm anything but classical and traditional today, but my face, but a lot of my Chinese uh, trainings, it's all about honoring your lineage and honoring where you came from. And that's why when you go to my YouTube channel and I start talking about X and I always tell you where I got my stuff. Yeah. I always tell you who my teachers were because it was about honoring where you got it. Even if you're not doing what they taught you, you've built on it, you extended from it. you honor where you come from. You remember who your teachers were positive or negative. Right. 
because everybody has something to teach you. Nothing is wasted. And so I realized that I needed to, I needed to certify for that, for, for that aspect of it, but also because I wanted, I wanted to be known. I still had this ego and I, I still wanted to know that I made a difference in the world and I wanted people to know where things come from. Just like I tell people where I got things, I want people to say, I got this from David Snyder. I learned this from David or David helped me do this. And now I'm doing this because of that. And, and I wanted to be part of that chain, you know? Um, and I think a lot of us want to leave our mark on the world. We want to know that when we shuffle off this mortal coil, that we've left it a better place in, in whatever degree we're capable of, you know? Very um, true. Yeah. And it's also important for, I think, uh, the most uh, fundamental aspect of what you do is that you show the world the power that we have as individuals to heal ourselves and you walk your students your clients your patients through the process of how to do that to be able to tap into their innate god-given power to self-heal um, to be able to talk to their body to be able to really connect with that which is us that allows us to be able to have the human experience be so much more robust much more enriched and to have a better quality of life better relationships and the ability to tap into all that we are rather than operating just from that one level that you talked about which is the neocortex aspect because obviously we're not even aware of the limbic system and the uh, reptile brain as they call it which is the oldest and the most powerful and i also want people to know because i remember when i went through the class with you when you say talk to the boss you are referring to that subconscious level of the mind not which mm -hmm. is where most people's power lies true your power always comes from synergy. Mm -hmm. You don't become more powered by separating our neocortex from our limbic system, from our reptile brain, from our physical body, from our proprioceptive nervous system to our sympathetic. We don't, we don't become more powerful by separation. We become uh -huh. more powerful by becoming more whole and integrated. And that's what the techniques like in the transformational triad, that's their real superpower is they allow every division of you to communicate with itself towards a common goal in a language that all of you understands and can help with. And that's why you get such powerful change so fast. Now, do you need to know all this, all the neuro-linguistic nomenclature and neurophysics and social psychology and, and research to be able to do that? No, no. That's a different level of training and a different level of expertise. And not everybody wants that or, or is ready to do that. It, certainly there's pathways for, for moving through that continuum. But if you just want to stop hurting, you don't need to know any of that. You just need to know the point to where you feel it, take it out, spin it, put it back in, you know. And I love and what you said, because in, in my world, so I come from, I, I studied um, nutrition to its depth. And what you just said is exactly what I always speak about, how if you were to take a, a whole food like an apple, it has a multitude of nutrients in it. <clears throat> that working synergistically, working together is what actually gives the body the overall benefit. Whereas in the world today, what they do is they fraction, they separate, they say, oh, let's take vitamin C and let's take this nutrient. And then people go and consume these things, fraction separated, rather than going for the whole foods and getting the synergistic power of that specific whole food so that they could get the benefit in the body. I'm so glad you said that because what you said earlier, everything is interconnected in the world. And that parallel right there is proof that it's always better, like community is better. Um, 
like you said, the synergistic power of all systems in the body work better together. And of course, we can never separate the body. I mean, the cells are always communicating 24-7. Each one works with each other one for you to be able to experience the benefit of health and the benefit of well-being and wellness. Um, so I'm so happy that you proved that even from that perspective, let's say the more non-tangible, the neocortex, the mind, the body, the um and all the other energetic systems that we interface with, um, especially because what you said, like outside of our physical body, there is a field that has its own <laughs> level of power and its own usefulness and its own benefit to our overall health. And it's important that we work with all those together. And that's what you teach. I don't think I consider better myself. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, Dr. David, I am so grateful uh, on behalf of the audience for everything you shared today and your generosity in teaching exactly how to do things to be able to achieve that level of health that we all seek. But if anybody is interested in going to study with you because you have a wealth of knowledge and guys, we haven't even touched on, I mean, he does like face reading and how certain things that are mapped on the face are actually connected to some things that are related to our emotional states. Um, and I've watched a multitude of videos on your YouTube channel and I invite you all to go and do so, so that you can learn, uh, you have a massive amount of, uh, courses, that you that are available on your website. So for anybody who's interested, please go to www.nlpower.com. And there's two P's. NLPpower.com. And Dr. Dr. David generously has agreed to give everybody a 15% discount um, site-wide on any of the uh, courses that you offer there, except for the ones that are in person. He's based in beautiful California and San Diego. So if you are in San Diego, please go down and, and do something live. I mean, it's definitely much more powerful. But Dr. David, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, all the information that you shared with the audience, um, everything that you've generously offered. I would love to have you back so we could talk about the face mapping and all the things that are on the face so that people can learn about more that you offer because it's, it's mind-blowing and vast. Yes, Simone, I'd be happy to. I'll come back anytime you want. You just let me know. Thank you so much. And once again, we'll see you next time for the show. Thank you for tuning to The Confidential. We hope you enjoyed the episode and found it interesting and informative. Please subscribe to the show to receive notifications when new episodes are released. You can also follow us on social media on Instagram at The Confidential Podcast to stay up to date with all things related to the show. We appreciate your support and welcome any feedback you may have. Until next time, stay curious and keep on learning. Thank you for listening.